discussion what we've been discussing to get around. Allow me to invite Ivan Ochako to introduce the panel today. Thank you very much. Peter. And then we're going to have a very different. I don't know. She's married, yes. <laughs> but she's only uh, good. She didn't propose our man for this very right? So I want to explain this. I hope she got my friend up here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul. I'm an associate at KTA Advocates. I'm here at a very good political summit at the SNP Awards. And particularly, Alice in the morning, I'm looking kind of good here. I don't want to be a funny. And I want to be a guy who doesn't want it. I'm shy, shy, so much. And uh, my boss has believed that I'm here with us. So we wanted to put us around the show. So we need to be together. So ladies and gentlemen, what is the time for request? It's a moment of Kakwasa, a of Kakwasa. It's a representative of Westinga, Ms. Dori Nawani, and Mr. Sigasite. Okay, let's do a demonstration. Mr. Magin Sigasite, with your panel. I consider appropriately taking the future panel. And then it becomes... Yeah, and we, we need to start with thinking 
eye deficiencies can we start rethinking everything that we're doing? We need to start rethinking how we're also delivering our services. The teacher lawyer is going to move from being just a lawyer to delivering services. We now see that auditing comes out also producing services. So you have to build your practice area to be able to have business skills, to be able to have collaboration skills. You have to be able to now start to new emotional intelligence because that is a going to be solution for the machine. Because machines may be able to review documents, but they don't have emotional intelligence. They don't have negotiation skills. So those are the skills that are going to set you apart as a lawyer. And so even in our schools and in our education, these are the skills that people have to start getting. Collaboration skills, negotiation skills, you know, ability to think outside the box and to have emotional intelligence, to be able to talk to your clients and give them that personal touch. Because our machine has that personal touch when it comes to dealing with clients. And we are going to see that we've been doing the video R, but the video R is going to die. Because clients are looking for cheaper services. They want cheaper services and they want quality work. So you're going to have to find out of being very good work that are much cheaper. And that is how machines are coming in. Um, so many law firms in London have said adopting um, artificial intelligence to conduct their due diligence. So instead of having to review a thousand documents, you just have your artificial intelligence, you put a change of control clause and you know, in a minute to review like 1,000 documents and say it's supposed to make your work easier. But the worry with this is that you know, there's a, a fear that um, legal systems are going to then become obsolete. They're not going to be relevant. They're not going to be relevant. They're going to be relevant. And that's going to be relevant is the emotional intelligence and the ability to make business skills. So what I would encourage young lawyers to do is to make them into another profession. So you don't need to give, just give you what they're saying to have. You need to have business skills. You need to build your emotional intelligence. You need to be able to collaborate and negotiate. That's what's going to set you apart from other people. And that is the only way you're going to be able to survive and well when you're in that profession. And the other thing we're seeing is that now those ones are using big data to do things. No funds are using big data to do business development. They're using data to get connected from their clients to be able to ascertain what kind of services will that client client receive from us. To be able to use this big data to be able to determine and predict the outcomes of court cases. In some jurisdictions, they're already using chatbots and they're already using things to determine cases without having to go through the formal legal procedure and you know, police so you have to be open-minded. It's good for young lawyers to open their minds. It's good for you to um, be open-minded. It's good for you to listen to different people and speak to different people. I know that in other schools, you know, they are still trying to adjust and they are a bit resistant to change. But then it is up to you to put yourself out there and expose yourself to what's happening. Because if you don't, then you're going to be left behind. Oh, thank you. I, I wanted it to be as simple as, as a flow, but your measure of lawyers, quality, uh, lawyer services. And since uh, Mr. Mabiaz is, like I say, an entrepreneur, he's going to, he's starting on next, on one person, in addition to us, I think he's going to say, and what we're talking about is experiences in lawyers, as far as advising him, he's uh, just going to go and he's not a business. So, is it about cheap services or is it about quality services? Would you need to pay as much money since he now has uh, this is investing as, as much as thirty thousand dollars in his investment board? Or would you be willing to draft a contract for himself without a lawyer? So what what are the experiences with lawyers besides uh the other things that is good about justice board and what are you? So uh, I have one question. I would like to ask you guys uh, lawyers uh, what is the main purpose of uh, legal system or justice? If anyone can uh, answer that question. The main purpose of justice and uh, law and uh, all the things related to justice. What, what is the main purpose? Joshua, my name I think uh, the main purpose of uh, justice and the legal profession, as well uh, as a businessman, is to make money. <laughs> I like him because he, he did his best to my answer. But for me, the answer is uh, 
When talking about justice, we focus on helping people. When talking about uh, law, we focus still helping people. Because the definition of law by itself is uh, the law is all about creating a ruling system that manages, that uh, helps people to interact in a good way. So if there is one thing, or if there is uh, any purpose that the justice serves, or the law has, the purpose is serving people. So uh, yes, we need money. Yes, we need quality. Uh, yes, we need our work to be done fast. But uh, I, I do believe the first thing that we should put on top is uh, serving people. Because it's via serving people that people acknowledge your quality, and then via that quality, you'll get the objective that you are in. So it's all about first focusing on service. It's all about focusing on helping people. And from that, people get to know your qualities, and from that, people get to pay you, acknowledge the work that you're doing. That's a, a short answer for the question. So can I move on now? Yeah. So uh, if there is one thing I want to start with here, the thing is, I say, like, uh, the bridging, I mean, for bridging the gap between law and technology is all about choice. We have to make a choice. Tech has been there outside. People talk about AI, people talk about blockchain, people talk about reviewing contracts automatically. But there is one thing that has uh, a great importance in whatever we are doing, and that is choice. You are here a lawyer today, you will be in a farm, it's up to you to choose what tool you want to use in the, your farm. It's up to you to decide I'm not going to use this software, it's up to you to, to decide I'm going to use this software. It's up to you to decide I'm going to try AI, it's up to you to say I'm not going to try AI. But change is driven by the spirit of uh, excellence. So, I, I really want us to question not only the work that we are doing, but our character also. Because most changes that we, we bring into our work are based on our core values and uh, the characters that we, we have in our companies. So, if I'm going to go back again on one thing, there is a survey that was done in 2016 in USA, and the result was most lawyers didn't want to use tools that help them in legal practices, tools that help them to make their work fast. Though they had those tools in, in, their, in their hands, but they chose to not do so. And those ones who were using those tools were not even using those tools to their fullest. So you will see it all rotates around choice. And I would like again to go back on the real definition of law and what computer is all about. If we see law by itself, law is all around, I mean, it's all about information. What makes a lawyer a lawyer is the knowledge that the lawyer has. And the knowledge is all about information. And what makes most of the time us paying lawyers is we pay lawyer to access the information that the lawyer has. We pay the lawyer because the, the lawyer is well able to contextualize the information that he has for the specific case, that I, I mean, for my specific issue. We pay the lawyer because the lawyer is well able, well informed about how to utilize the information that he has in, in his position, interpreting the law. And then when we go back to ICT, we'll find that ICT is all about information. ICT is about processing information. ICT is about uh, uh, storing information. ICT is about uh, transferring information. So you will find that law and ICT have something in common. So looking at law and looking at ICT, we all know already that ICT is just a tool that lawyers or law can utilize to be efficient. 
but it goes back again to choice. You have to choose to use that tool. The tool is there. You have to choose it. There are many softwares there outside. Actually, as if we are building the AI, like uh, she, was, she was actually talking about chatbot, and the platform that we run Justice Bot is actually a chatbot that is on Facebook 24 hours, seven. You go, you ask a question, and it gives you the information for free. So it's all around information. But then you have to know that ICT is there, a tool to help you be efficient in whatever work you're doing. Because ICT processes, stores, transfers information. And you, your work is all about information. So this brings me to one thing that uh, Albert Eshin said. He said, any fool can know, but the point is to understand. Any fool can know, but the point is to understand. Why am I bringing this point? Sometimes I feel like uh, a lawyer is afraid of uh, taking a step toward technology because they think that technology is going to replace them. I don't know. Is that is that a fear? Is, is it? Someone, yes or no? Let someone tell me. Do you fear that technology is going to take a place? Yeah. So the, the, the theater is uh, like risk taking. So, so, but one thing you should know is that if you are called to be innovators, if you are called to change something, you must be taking risk. Because change comes with risk. So if you are not willing to take risk, do not expect something is going to change in whatever you are doing. So you must take that risk of trying something out. If you do not try it out, then do not expect something is going to change in your, 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 your daily workflow. So, if, I mean, uh, if the, the, the other way, I mean, if I go the other way around, if the problem is fear of your, your work be, being done by, by, by computers, I'll definitely assure you that computer is not going to handle everything. Because for computer to completely replace your lawyers, there is still a lot to be done in ICT, I mean, I, ICT arena. Why? What makes you lawyers very special is that ability of you contextualizing information. What a computer is not yet well able to do as you lawyers can do. It's like computers are good to transfer information, computers are good to process information, but when it comes to contextualize the information that it says, when it comes to understand the information and utilize that information to help someone solve his legal issues, that's where lawyers come in. But when you come in as a lawyer, still you need a computer to help you process the information that you are going to, 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 to work with. So please remember that you need to make a choice. It's all about a choice. Wherever you go, be a person who will drive the change by taking risk, but by making that choice of closing the gap. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm Alexander Tunokoisiga, the founder of Tumaini Chambers. Uh, on 1st September 2019, Tumaini Chambers will be celebrating its first year anniversary. And to celebrate that, we will then be able to share with you a complete, comprehensive, more than just a website, but yes, a website that is accessible, available, and provides close to affordable services, legal services, uh, across East Africa. Currently, we've put together a team of advocates in nine East African towns. There are advocates and clerks resident in those towns who have been providing services on the law. 
but on 1st September is when we'll really launch the website. The essence for that is my experience growing up in Uganda and studying here and then in Kenya and Tanzania. I realize that there are people in Tanzania who are interested in launching businesses in Kenya or Uganda is interested in Kenya or Kenya is interested in, in Uganda. And I'm aware that 77, averagely 77% of people in East Africa below 30, 80 to 95% operate in the informal sector. And all these people still have the ability to afford a smartphone that is priced as low as $40. Why are they buying smartphones? Accessibility to information, which also results into data, and they will need to transact one way or the other, whether it's Mpesa or Visa or MasterCard, to buy products. All those have legal you know, affiliations. And I know, I'm aware that lawyers in the future are becoming less and less important in as many transactions as possible. Because if we decide to leave as entrepreneurs, even when we are lawyers, you realize that we have to market and operate like our clients are doing already, or like they are that we live in. So we are embracing digital platforms. Even when we are aware that Africa is the last digital frontier, we are adopting or embracing digital platforms that have been tested right on phones as five already, such that we can provide legal services for as many people as possible and as fast as possible. Why should it take a week to reduce the company in Uganda when it takes a course of a day in Kenya and one hour in London. So we've, we've better that, augmented that by perfecting it only an afternoon in Kampala, which for us is a step in the right direction. And those who have benefited from our services, because uh, our biggest clientele is not even in Africa so far because of the challenges of the internet and everything in Ohio and New York. We've noticed that they're interested in intra-Africa trade. So where you're designing a product or a service for one country or two or three countries with your friends starting with, you have a person who's interested in all the African countries. So you have to design a service that is sufficient enough for everyone. So there are more connections in Southern Africa and Western Africa. But one thing I can say is this, is that everything that we've been talking about since morning, there's something I didn't hear at all. The reason why the big four are not here Facebook, Amazon, Google, is because all digital engagements and transactions are founded on one thing, payments. We don't have the payment portals that have been built to cater to the specifics of different countries in Africa. Um, we don't have logistics and then mapping yet. We are trying to head in there, but we are not yet there. So as we grow, my experience is such that Africans, we should be able to own some of the conversations that we are having. We should be able to create infrastructure that caters to our localities. If I'm in Kampala or in Uganda and I want to transact with someone who is using runs, for example, they're paying for legal service in Kampala. We have gone through all the paperwork, we are all okay and they need to pay. If they can't pay me directly as a law firm and I have to go through two other intermediaries along the way, then I am not operating in the market like the market like like they am in the game. So it's unfortunate that I can't tell that straight to you now, but that's what Tumaini Chambers has done. We have lawyers and clerks for now in nine East African towns that have been attending to clientele in those towns where work finds them. So you don't you don't have clients walking in, you know, working clients. You don't have lawyers leaving their town to go to another. You don't have to leave Nairobi to go to Naivasha or Kampala to go to Kigali. There's really someone there. So we receive instructions, we cater to the client, and we deliver results, and of course they pay. So we've had to sort out accounting concerns, we've had to sort out payment concerns, accessibility and availability. Yeah. Uh, if I may add, uh, what, what we've been able to do, we've generated what I like calling a menu of like two distinct uh, practice areas of interest. The traditional, there's a list for those, and then there's the future ones. And here's one thing I can say, uh, knowledge, in the digital age, knowledge is, or information is very important. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but some of the ideas that Doreen was mentioning earlier, like robots, AI, VR, uh, cryptocurrencies, are already in effect or in application in Uganda, but it's classified information. So we as lawyers need to connect with the people from the tech world, and the people from the tech world who I find, because I work with them quite often, are also quite ignorant of the legal responsibilities that they have to be aware of. So to bridge that gap, conferences like this, if we can invite half tech world, half 
legal world, and then we learn from one another, we'll be able to bridge that gap as we move forward. Yeah. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, as everyone is recording to this meeting, um, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Social Land Africa. I happen to be uh, uh, to have experienced uh, the legal industry as well as um, as well as the tech space. So I worked in the law firm for about two years. Uh, before I came into the tech space. Yeah, so Social Land Africa basically we do peer-to-peer lending. We couple lenders with borrowers because we identify this significant gap between the two. Um, and of course the opportunity was further powered by the growth of uh, mobile learning in East Africa. It's really uh, a leader in uh, Africa globally. So um, Social Aid Africa basically realized there was a gap of about uh, 4.8 billion US dollars in terms of SME financing because one of our core clients is, um, in terms of lending is the business owner who doesn't have um, access to big capital. And uh, it's, it's a real challenge. So that is why we got into it to make sure we give these guys a boost in terms of capital and also make sure we give you a return as uh, a lender. Um, some fintechs prefer to call them investors, but we call them investors. Yes, so that is uh, essentially what we do. And uh, my experience, I'm sorry, uh, in terms of technology, uh, in terms of artificial intelligence, uh, is mostly in the, 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 the um, startup um, experience. I, 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 <laughs> the law firm I work for is a bit traditional, not to downplay it, but uh, so many uh, law firms have not yet transitioned. Uh, in terms of using uh, more and more efficient technologies. But it's a process and we shall get there, I believe. Yes, so artificial intelligence, um, I, I think I can just talk about my journey. Uh, I, I think uh, when it comes to, I think I can first talk about regulation and uh, the future of uh, technology and the law. My experience is that when we set out as Social Aid Africa, we knew that um, regulation of fintechs and for fintechs was lacking. You know, I tend to approach it uh, using two angles, regulation for and of. Uh, for is to give a boost to us, and of is to, you know, check us, check the, the startups, and uh, uh, I mean, because at the end of the day we hold so much data, and uh, we have to always be cautious of how to respect uh, data, privacy, and all these, these other concepts. So mine, uh, in terms of four, I went to our National Credit Defense Bureau because we need to be able to uh, partner with um, the existing, um, should I say, financial infrastructure. We can't reinvent the wheel sometimes. We have to go back to the basics. So I wanted to see how we could partner with Compiscan and uh, because currently there is no regulation for Compiscan to work with fintechs. It's not there. Uh, apparently when they were pushing for bank assurance, for Islamic banking, for you know, these new innovations, agency banking, uh, it's something they didn't look into. But then how do fintechs, um, the, the data they hold, how do they be able to, 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 to you know, uh, in terms of when it comes to credit risk, uh, in order for us to reduce our default rate, we've got to be able to, to, to work with the credit finance bureau and you know give them data on people who are defaulted so that we can have a detail of, of you know ease in terms of uh, you know we interact with our clients. Clients know like at the end of the day I want to be blacklisted in the financial system and I may not be able to access financial services elsewhere. So, yes, um, but when I got there, I discussed with the executives and they were like, I don't think we can help you guys. You have to lobby. Uh, as I saw, we had a FITSPA uh, agent here. But they said you have to lobby and make sure that, uh, this, this guy is here, the, the, the guys who, who make the policy and the legislator. Yes, so we got back to the drawing board. They were like, no, we're not going to wait for 
for ventilation. We're not going to wait for BOU. I mean, it's, it's, we need to move fast because this is an opportunity. I mean, in terms of financial technology, it's, it's really growing in Africa, especially in East Africa. So we're about to join more with our developers or like how we be able to, you know, um, get this data and, and, and be able to get a reliable credit score without necessarily relying on the credit reference bureau. So that is how we came up with innovative ways of credit, uh, credit uh, scoring people in terms of their credit history. And then, uh, yes, I would, I, would, I would like to make the, the, the bold point that um, innovators and developers are not going to wait for the regulators to invent them. We want to keep innovating. Uh, because personally, I, I can chat with our developers at, at any time of the, the day, and even at 3 a.m. Yet our regulators at that time are comfortable sleeping. So it means that we're always going to be a step ahead. So in terms of how we have deployed um, um, artificial intelligence, yes, we are developing a proprietary algorithm to be able to score people. So basically, we, we look at your consumer behavior. Uh, you're going to uh, you know, tell us how you spend your money, how you, 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 you know, what things you consume, especially online, uh, airtime, ETC, utility bills. Uh, we even go to the extent of, of knowing your patterns of paying rent because we, we don't have any other way of getting your data. But as we do that, when you're going through the application process, we make sure as social, as social in Africa, we try to really respect people's data. We make sure that at every point, we tell you what we're going to use that data for. So when you get to the point of, for instance, giving us your details of where you reside, your address and your your landlord's contact number, we inform you that this is meant to give you a higher credit score. So I think that's something that is lacking. Um, the most most fintechs and, and most technology developers, they tend to overlook some of these privacy rights. They don't ask for consent most times and other kind of stuff. Even when it comes to a lender uh, viewing your loan details as a borrower, we still ask for consent. So by the time you come to a loan and you know we 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 decided to come to a platform, then we 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 ask for that consent and we give it. Then I think now we are in, 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 in the court. Yes. So basically, that's what I can say about my interaction with the Well, thank you very much, Mabi and all the panelists, fantastic interactions. Before we have the floor for me, have a couple of takeaways. Lawyers must have diversified their skills, not just a lawyer, must have emotional intelligence, and also perhaps, uh, if you're, for example, if you're a criminal lawyer, you're not a criminal lawyer, if you're a criminal lawyer, you know how to have a cybersecurity case, which is more less take than they do. So they must find skills, because of all the people, and some other people, that would be very interesting questions coming from people in that area. Lawyers must change the mindset, the technology replaces them. The fear of unknown. Lawyers must be risk takers and innovative. Uh, there's a battle of our big white bobbins and here in the South Africa and the West Africa is doing but in a bunch of space. So that's another interesting one. But also, importantly, uh, just a few of us have said that we don't have the payment platforms in Africa, we have to the big payment companies, the uh, FedEx and what I do. But there's a very important thing that happened in the last two weeks. Uh, Flatware is one of the top FedEx companies. As partner with Alipay, Alipay from Alibaba. Alibaba is actually the biggest tech company because of the price in China. So Alipay should be the biggest fintech company. That's very interesting. See what the Chinese are doing as far as infrastructure and other things concerned. Let us watch this person and see what's going to happen in the fintech space in that area. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Ali, how many questions are we allowed? Okay, thank you very much. We can have as many questions as possible. Uh, I'll go first to Mr. Sekese. Okay, this is our question. Five questions. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go first. I'll go first to Mr. Sekese. Mr. Sekese, uh, uh, just a small debate as a startup. Uh, as a lawyer in this place, I'll tell you that we struggle with many startups as far as getting investment is concerned. I know Flutterer was, uh, sorry, Justice Sport was benefited from a couple of uh, investments in the recent past. Huh? So for me, I want a couple of uh, 
good to see that we have someone in a fintech-related uh, business, if I can say. Um, it's good that the room is full of lawyers and some lawyers, and this is a summit organized by lawyers. My experience for the time I've been working in the fintech industry, particularly the fintech association, which is where you get an area view of what exactly is happening, because you're working with the big players and the small players. And then you're also going to know the regulators door and people like this. The challenge that is being faced right now is lack of, I think, knowledge or understanding of what's going on in different camps. Michael, this might be a question, it's just a submission, maybe a supplementation of some comment. My, what I would encourage lawyers to do, for instance, is to, to, to plug in and bridge these gaps, really. Like, this is what's in Europe, plug in and bridge these gaps. Because you're the lawyers, you're the ones who need to defend a fintech, or you're the ones who need to say the law is right here, you guys comply. But then what happens if both sides are not in touch? You know, if they don't have points of contact in which they can let properly. So I think that's also an area that needs to be focused on. Um, make a contribution in that area where you say there's do fintechs know what the regulator wants? Do regulators and policy makers understand what fintech is, what their potential is, how can we fairly tax them, how can we fairly do all these things? I think that's one area in which you can contribute. Otherwise, I mean, I know it's happening, technology is moving fast like that, and the fintech sector has seen solutions, payment solutions come up every single day, and they wait for no one. Yeah? So how can we try to catch up? And as well as what contributions are we going to make so that this, these gaps are bridged and bridged properly? Thank you very much. That's the last one. Any, any other burning questions? Apart from that one? Yeah, the exercise too. Same thing. Yeah, thank you. Any questions? Great. That's the last one. Joshua again. Uh, what I want to ask is uh, firstly, I didn't get your comments, but I'm a lawyer from, uh, from Kenya. To what level of tolerance should we as lawyers accept the adoption of ICT in our business? Because what I understand is that our computers, as much as they have artificial intelligence, but they grow day by day. You as ICT people, you will uh, at one time mentor them to do what lawyers do actually. And uh, that is taking out me as a lawyer out of the business because now computer will be able to have consciousness, intelligence, and then you can never get tired. Maybe you will handle four or five cases in a day. And then also, <coughs> my brother running uh, the, the online law firm. What are the regulations and guidelines you have, you as a person in the playing of lawyers? Uh, because today, in the legal profession and the judiciary as at large is trying to lead to swiftly the profession and taking out for employees. Uh, recently Uganda Law Society launched the app. It is an online thing. I tried to register as a lawyer and then as a client. And what they ask for is uh, your name and then your PC. But then they do not have a backup uh, check or due diligence to see if your uh, enrollment number is really in the high court. So you better uh, register even people that are not qualified, then they are able to offer services that are really cheap. Even 
train a computer. Like, you have to have someone who is knowledgeable, like a lawyer, to train the AI to understand those uh, contexts. You get it? So that's where I need now a lawyer. But imagine, after me training the, my AI agent with all the information you are giving, what will remain of you? I'll replace you. Because the computer will be, able, I mean, will be having the knowledge already. So you'll get out of the game. But still, you do not have to fear because the, I mean, computer replacing you depends also on the fact of uh, ICT use in our, in our community. We, are, we, we know that in Africa, four out of 10 are the people who use, uh, uh, I mean, one out of four uh, is the person who uses uh, ICT. So you still have that space of doing something, but keep focusing on what sets you apart, because that's what will make you stand. Otherwise, you're going to quit the job of a lawyer. And uh, one thing that they always tell us, okay, I don't know if I another school they tell people, is as a software engineer, you must understand that an implementation of a system always comes with, with an impact on human resource. It either comes to replace people or add people into human resource system. So if it comes that you will be replaced, just find another way. But you have to just be conscious of what makes you different and unique. That will help you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Did you say anything, Joshua? Yes, I'll start with Joshua's uh, interest in acceptance of IT. From my personal experience, I chose to be a lawyer the same year I interacted with a computer for the first time. I was nine years of age. That's when I decided I was, remember I was in primary school. The times when we are still storing that on floppy disks and everything. And since then, I've not looked back. Even when I started out learning just how to type and, you know, play music on the machine up to now, where I've reduced everything from blogging to doing my legal work to communication, accounting to a mobile phone. So I don't walk into a building anymore for any service or anything. I just need to my mobile phone from wherever I'm at because I'm always on the road. So if you're waiting to accept ICT-related services, I'm very sorry to say you're very late if you're still waiting. So try to catch up as fast as you can, and then you'll see how it will benefit you. Then uh, it was Patrick, I believe, who was interested in ethical concerns. When you are already, uh, when you've adapted to the culture of using ICT-related services, some of your ethical concerns are not necessarily negligent, but they don't matter anymore. Because once I'm in, I'm in a conversation with someone else, I really don't care much for what their different opinions are from mine, what their sex is, what their age is, or where they are residing, which is why I am so much for borderless communities that are connected. Connected people, I believe in connecting people. So, but what you need to be well aware of is our responsibility, basic human responsibilities towards another person. You should not aimlessly harm or hurt another person through your connection online. I think that's the one call that you need to always remember. And then, of course, if you're chatting with Justice Bot, which I've been very lucky to interact with, you need to know that you're chatting with Justice Bot. You don't start asking Justice Bot about things that have nothing to do with legal interests. And then I'll end with uh, Bridget's concern on regulation. All the people I work with, first and foremost, are either people I went to school with or people who are just Americans that happen to be lawyers. So all the lawyers in the different countries are actually advocates of those high courts in, of the high court in that respective country. If you visit the websites of the societies of those countries, they are enlisted, first and foremost. So when a client brings us instructions, you are assigned a lawyer or an associate or working together and a clerk attending to your matter. So what you benefit from us, of course, after giving us instructions, you get all the detail of you know, the what we offer with you, you make payment, and then you get an update in real time. When we launch what we want to launch on 1st September, you should be able to view the further progress of your concern or your matter in real time from wherever you are. Because uh, he will tell you, it's a good thing that we met on the same panel. The very first time I interacted with Justice Board, I was so excited, but I was only disappointed because when we reached the point of giving me an advocate to work to, that advocate never followed up with me, which is not a Justice Board problem, but it's a global concern. In America, 70% of companies don't follow up, which means it's a challenge. 
and for us once we take away the ability to access and to follow up we take we we deliver services much faster and better that is how you get sponsorship that Oja Kolaiban is interested in. They only sponsor people who are offering stellar services and that have the ability to scale. And the beauty of the internet that it gives all of us is one word, variance. That's it. Um, yes. Um, I proceed. Yes. Um, uh, my sister from the Fintech Association of uh, our involvement as lawyers in guiding these technologies and uh, the developers. Uh, my experience with most of the developers and interactive videos, they are definitely naive about them. They actually don't care when they use the right one. For them, it's about how do I get this quick into the market because we put a lot of pressure on them. So what happens is, um, they have to develop efforts coming back to uh, at least to stay within the confines of the world. It's, it's good for us to be so ambitious, but then that's, that's now how we, the lawyers and uh, software engineers, I mean, we come up with think tanks and then guide these guys on, on how to stay within the confines of the law, albeit being a bit uh, innovative. Yes, so for me, um, I'm very interested in the issue of ethical considerations because usually um, technology tends to, to override ethics. It, it, it really it's about efficiency, so it moves ahead of, of, of what is best for humanity. So with me, I, 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 I tend to, and that's why I told you, along the way when we are onboarding the client, uh, on our system, we tend to look at all the aspects like data rights, data privacy, and all that. So I look at issues like transparency, I look at fairness. Um, these are very important. When I talk of um, transparency, I mean the data that we collect from you as our users. What do we use it for? It's, it's not a question of, of getting your data and then we don't, I mean, uh, disclose uh, the, the purpose of that data. So, luckily enough, for us, we are a clear-cut model. When we get your data, it's just to help you access them. We are unlike um, the social media companies, whom you give content and uh, they use it the way they want. Someone was talking about one of the companies earlier talked about FaceApp and uh, how you, you guys signed away rights. I don't know those who downloaded the app. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a legitimate concern for for us to, to be conscious of those. And even as users, it's advisable. You see, we can try our best as much to protect your data, but it's advisable for you to read terms and conditions. And even those who are writing out those terms and conditions and policies, uh, privacy policies, the lawyers, try to make them as explainable and easily understandable as possible. Because you're developing them for someone who is very basic. Don't put in too much legalism to impress your clients. No. You're not developing that stuff for your client. So, uh, because it goes a long way in, in, in saving all of us from these uh, uh, battles that we have, uh, as you saw, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. Yeah, so then we have fairness. Uh, AI, um, yes, let me just find out. Yes, uh, so just my last experience. My last, yes, my last experience with the, the issue of fairness and AI. We um, have tried to deploy um, AI's way of putting um, people to work with us in social in Africa. It is a company that provides a, a recruitment platform which bas uh, basically assesses the candidate's uh, eligibility in terms of uh, personality, in terms of the strength of their CV, in terms of talent. But the challenges we face is that most of the times uh, these candidates were not even 80% to the scale of what the, the AI results were showing us. So um, I'm just speaking based on considerations and my experience with it. That means that uh, uh, these algorithms tend to have a bias, right? They, they have a bias in terms of the information that we feed them. So we have to be very cautious. It's good for us to be optimistic. But I have to just uh, let the cut out of the bag. We have to be a bit cautious with how we 
deploying these technologies, because when, when we're even assessing applications uh, using these technologies, sometimes uh, a, a client might, might actually miss out on a loan, not because um, they weren't eligible enough, but because we fed the algorithm a certain amount of information. So that means we are affecting their well-being and these, these biases uh, affect the fairness of the technologies we use. Yes. Uh, thank you, Marvin. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to our future panel. And I think that's been a best panel thus far. And for that matter, we deserve a fantastic t-shirt. Thank you, thank you, Our panelists, we can't thank you enough. And I know this is just a start or to trigger us to think better about the future of technology and the law. Um, from Doreen, we have much that um, we have, as lawyers, increasingly have to work on things that machines can for us, like emotional intelligence. And also, if I may add, the practical, street smart intelligence that the machines can pick up on. So it's about better ourselves to provide the machines. To do, but also evolving to become cheaper and more efficient in order to compete. Um, from my brother, I don't know, my guess, my guess is a Ugandan name, yeah, and I've been told you from Kenya. No, I'm not. And my guess, my guess he has told us it's a choice. And for every lawyer in the house and any other person, it should be upon us to choose to um, adopt or comply with ICT and use it to our benefit, as opposed to being scared that we take, we take away from our jobs. And of course, from Alexander, the online law firm, what a wow, we have a saying in church. It's, it's overwhelming, but it's also good to know that people are thinking outside the box. And what are you doing for yourself to get in touch and to compete in this um, region? Yeah. Marvin, we've had an insight of how some of these systems may be biased and, and, and the emotional intelligence that has to go into, not the emotional, but the ethical intelligence that has, has to go into this particular business. Thank you so much, our great partners, for your insight and for sharing your experiences. May we please thank them. Legal fraternity in terms of the teachers, lecturers, 